Are you looking to build a career in game design? Would you like to learn more about this subject? Stay tuned as we walk you through this and more in this episode of the Zista Podcast. Welcome to the Zista Podcast, where we invite industry leaders and academicians to answer queries that students have within a specific subject area. Our session today is rather interesting. We're going to focus on game design. And joining me today is Professor Fabio Zambetta from RMIT University. Thanks for joining us, Fabio. Thank you for having me. Let, uh, before we get in, I'd just like to start, uh, you know, with a small introduction with you, uh, for you, if that's okay. So uh, for students out there, let me tell you a little bit about Fabio. He's an internationally recognized research leader in AR, VR, games technology, and real-time simulation. He leads projects with industry partners such as Village Roadshow, Microsoft, and GitHub. And he's currently the Associate Dean for Artificial Intelligence in the School of Computing Technologies at RMIT. He's also been the Program Manager at RMIT for more than 16 years, and he's managed programs such as games and graphic programming, computer science, and software engineering. Uh, so thank you, Fabio. We really appreciate you making time for this session. Thank you for uh, being here and talking on this subject. No worries at all. Happy to talk about game technology any day of the week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the thing with games, right? I mean, if you're in it, you're in it. You know, you, uh, you're you in it to win it. And if I can just use that cliche phrase, but uh, people who love gaming uh, want to kind of explore more, you know, they want to explore what kind of careers I can do in this line. Is it lucrative? That's the kind of questions that they have in mind. So what we've done is we've, uh, you know, got a, a couple of things that I'd like to, you know, ask you. Starting with, uh, what do you see are some of the trends and innovations that are shaping the future of game development? And let's assume I'm an aspiring student. How would I keep up with them? Yeah, so um, certainly um, people would be familiar with terms nowadays as uh, generative AI and uh, chat GPT and all these sort of technologies that are really revolutionizing uh, AI and uh, lots of the software development world. Um, the, the, this new um, uh, and upcoming changes are also investing in the games industry uh, because these technologies can now be used to uh, actually create content for games, right? So this is going to some extent very much change the role of game designers, of the content producers in the games industry uh, because to some extent these tools are going to be weaved in into the palette of tools they're going to be using to create 3D models and imagery or sound or whatever else. Um, and, and of course, at the moment, there is a little bit of resistance. When uh, 3D first was introduced, artists started to panic. Um, or, you know, mathematicians uh, panicked about calculators in the past, right? But realistically, these tools are here to stay and they will become part of parcel of how artists generate art in the future. And they will still be in command, but these tools will help them. And to some extent, these tools are also helping uh, games programmers and software engineers. Um, there is this very well-known tool uh, created by GitHub uh, called Copilot that also allows to pre-generate part of the code that then the games programmers will be writing. So uh, to some extent, these generative AI tools are really uh, the new thing uh, that is coming up. Uh, and so what I would suggest for any prospective student interested in any of this is, well, a combination of formal training, you know, get a degree and, of course, uh, 
study and be good in AI and uh, study your maps, study your graphics and so on and so forth. But also, you know, listen, you know, listen to podcasts, listen to <laughs> such as this one, <laughs> others on YouTube and so on, uh, and, and try to get to know the latest and greatest trends. I, I remember as a student myself, that's how I started off. Um, so you need to be really keeping up with what's out there, particularly now because there is a lot going on. Awesome. I think uh, that's all solid, rock solid advice. Uh, you know, being familiar with the subject matter is really important and keeping your eyes and ears open, uh, following, you know, thought leaders or, you know, even uh, blogs on this subject, I think really help. Podcasts are great. And there's a ton of great content out there on YouTube. Absolutely right, Fabio. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, if can you recommend any, suppose if I'm looking for inspiration, you know, and I want to really learn this subject, uh, how would I go about it? Yeah, so once again, I, I think it's a combination of different sources. This is uh, what, what I've been telling, you know, the students I've taught over, you know, um, now more than two decades. Um, it, it's a combination of formal training. So, you know, um, enrolling in a solid degree is always a great thing uh, because you're going to be learning from people who are good at this, have been good at this for a long time, but also networking with potentially future colleagues. So there's that aspect that is really critical in having a formal uh, kind of education. But then on top of that, you really got to keep your eyes peeled, as I was saying before. So, uh, you know, YouTube channels, uh, local organizations. So, you know, the International Game Developer Association and it's usually local meetup groups uh, right. where game developers hang out. So never underestimate this. It's really important to network with the industry people. Uh, rock up to those meetings, get to know your people locally and so on, uh, but also uh, see what's out there, right? So as an example, uh, you know, every year there is a uh, an International Game Developer Association conference, the GDC, uh, where new games are presented and, you know, game developers talk about what they've done, um, and IGF, uh, the International Game Festival. Um, and so this is more of a independent twist um, so these are developers that are not necessarily connected to the majors um, sure. and this is where the experimental stuff happens uh, and it's really very inspirational to see what some of the independent game developers are capable of um, so I think it's a combination of formal training seeing what's going on out there both at the international level and at the local level right I think that's interesting and you know thank you for highlighting uh, IGF and GDC both of them are really nice uh, sources uh, for learning, uh, for keeping up with the industry and definitely for networking with peers. So that's fantastic. Um, I'd like to move on to another question, you know, and I think this is something uh, which is very relevant in the current day and time. So you, you're passionate about gaming and that's exactly why you're getting into it, right? And you need to, the as a professional, you, you push yourself to keep doing more uh, to keep churning out better outputs at faster rates. So how do you balance that passion and professionalism? You know, uh, uh, how do you avoid a burnout? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a very good question and uh, a question that is a very difficult answer. Uh, th there is no straight answer to that uh, in a way because to some extent what the balance is very much depends on the individual. Um, my, my, you know, good balance may be different from yours and, and so on. Um, what, what I 
usually tell my students and uh, what I tell colleagues as well. <laughs> now that I am an associate dean, I also manage uh, quite a few people who report to me, right? So this is very true of us as academics, of anyone. Um, it, it's, a, it's a learning process. Um, of course, people who get into games are very passionate about learning about games, making games, and so on. And I remember as a younger version of myself, I was pouring an incredible number of hours. So, of course, when I studied having a family that had to be self-regulated to some extent, uh, because I had to give up some of my personal time for the family, um, to some extent, it's a learning process of learning to listen to your body and uh, to, to yourself uh, and learning to manage uh, the different things that are happening in your life as well as your career, right? So, of course, you want to strive to have a satisfying career, but I, I always tell my students, having a satisfying career shouldn't come at the expense of your uh, physical and you know mental well-being. Uh, burning out is very real. Uh, of course, we, we experienced this throughout COVID um, to, to a large extent uh, because of all, uh, you know, thousands of online meetings and whatnot, you know, online study. So I think it's really important that has raised awareness around trying to balance things out. Uh, what I find useful for me is making sure that as I do my work, I try to keep my work really tight and focused and then have frequent breaks, mini breaks in between these very concentrated bouts of work. I'm not saying it's a universal formula. Other people like to do their work in very different ways with loud music and whatnot. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I I've actually found my recipe in a way and I never really burnt out. I'm a very active person. I practice a couple of sports and, you know, uh, I, I try to have other things in my life to balance uh, things out. Absolutely. I, I think that's, that's good advice. Um... You know, I wanted to also ask you about uh, building a competitive portfolio. Uh, what skills and tools do students need to be, you know, uh, uh, they need to familiarize themselves in if they want to build a really nice portfolio? Yeah. So uh, really uh, never underestimate the importance of a portfolio to get um, uh, a job in the games industry. That That's probably the main piece of information that the games company is going to be looking for even more so than your degree or any other certificate or not. So they really want to see that you have skills. Now, of course, the specific tools, are, you know, they, they vary on a daily basis. They change a lot. And of course, artists, designers, and programmers are different tools of the trade. Um, at a more general level, at a meta level, uh, what is really important to show is that, of course, you have mastery of some tools. That's fine. But you are a problem solver. Right. Okay. So you need to show that to some extent, um, it, this might be even a university assignment or a personal project. You actually uh, manage to frame uh, a game concept or a piece of game technology, whatever it might be. And very important skill, you started it and you finished it. <laughs> right. So this is something that they value, uh, you know, uh, to the extreme. Because it's very, very easy for game projects to start and die. Uh, you know, th there are, you know, thousands of game projects that never see the light of day. So it's really, really critical that you show that you picked up an idea, you've run with it, and you completed it. It might be a game project, a uni with six people. You're going to be able to show this is what I've done within that. Sure. Um, 
And then, of course, within that, if you're a game programmer, of course, you should have your portfolio on GitHub, your source code. If you're an artist, you might have some of your art on the Vintart or other similar website, of course, right? That That's nice. It shows that you know the tools of the trade. But what's most important is almost the meta level, right? You are able to be a responsible uh, developer. You have ideas, you implement the ideas, and, you know, you see them through. I like the point you made about, you know, even if you're working in a group project, uh, it's perfectly okay to include that in your portfolio. All you need to do is highlight the role that you played. And another point that you made, I kind of resonated with, which is uh, once you start something, finish it. So you need to have that grit and determination uh, to actually go through with what you've started because it shows that you'll actually uh, do that in the real world when you take up a, an assignment in a company, right? Let me ask you an interesting question, Fabio, in terms of, uh, do you see game design as a lucrative career? Mm. Yeah, so the, the, the question is, can I have multiple answers? Uh, it is, once again, a great question with many different possible answers. Um, I'd say it, it's, you know, it's a career that, uh, in, in terms of how lucrative it is, is quite in line, uh, especially for the software engineering side of it. Uh, with most software engineering jobs. And of course, uh, the more senior you become, the better it becomes relative to seniority. Um, so as a junior, it's, you know, average, but then it starts getting better and better as you become a lead or a senior or a lead or, you know, a principal. So, you know, it gets much, much better. Um, the games programmers are usually paid better uh, than artists and designers. But okay. that also changes quite dramatically with seniority in the sense that, um, you know, uh, in, in general, software engineers are paid best. However, so, some of the game designers out there are really super rock stars, right? <laughs> so they can get incredible salaries because um, their name is attached. Uh, is It becomes almost synonymous with a game, right? Uh, and so th there's a little bit of variance. That's why I was saying it's it's hard to tell exactly what do you mean by lucrative? It, it can vary quite a bit. After all, um, it is a creative industry. So the same would apply if you were thinking about, you know, the movie industry. Is it lucrative? Yeah, of course it is. But what does it mean for the individual? Well, your mileage may vary, obviously. Now, having said that, uh, something that probably some of the students who might be listening to this have not considered, and this is something I tell my students as well quite a bit, is that, you know, making games for entertainment is one path. Uh, more and more, there are jobs around simulation, robotics, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and all manner of accessory areas, you know, simulations in augmented and virtual reality and so on. The skill set required is exactly the same. However, you end up working sometimes for large corporations deploying training systems or, you know, military sure. systems or something else. Now, the pay in some of those assignments could be even better, in fact. Uh, in, very often it is, uh, especially if, say, you're paid by defense or, you know, some very large corporate clients. So there are now uh, broader career pathways as well that were not there, say, when I was a young version of myself, um, uh, that, that, you know, open up and give um, better career opportunities or multiple career opportunities as sure, well sure. Uh, in the sense that you can work for a games company for defense you can work for 
you know, con- consulting simulation, right? Absolutely. And there's an entire trend of, you know, a lot of organizations looking at gamification, bringing gamification to some aspect in terms of their product or, or service experience to make it more fun and engaging for, for consumers. So that again, I, 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 you know, I'm sure will open up a whole host of uh, jobs and career opportunities. And, yeah. uh, you know, the the right way to go about it is to, I feel, you know, choose what you really like doing. Uh, and if you do it really well, then, you know, uh, a good salary will it will follow. So the, you should not choose a line based on how much the starting salary is. Rather, you should choose a line or an area within that spectrum, which resonates with you. And then you can do well because that's what you'll enjoy doing. You'll do it well. And of course, people will then recognize you for your work and pay you well. Yeah, so, uh, Fabio, I, I see that, you know, in terms of your profile as well, you've you've uh, also done work in the defense and aerospace uh, uh, sector, right? You know, you've worked with Lawrence and Wackett as a deputy director for autonomy and automation. Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, once again, <laughs> this is, in fact, pointing case of uh, what I was saying before. Um, you know, game technology was quite narrow at one point, but then defense started to be interested in uh, in games. And so this is also part of my professional career of starting to do work on AI in computer games and immersive simulation, virtual reality. And then defense started to be interested in that. And so what one very large project that I've directed, uh, you know, uh, for uh, Sir Lawrence Bucket Center, um, is being in collaboration with the large multinational defense prime. Um, so what we have done in that project is really fascinating. We have recreated digital replicas, uh, sometimes called digital twins of, you know, a whole range of off-road environments, right? Okay. And, and in fact, we also had um, a procedural system to generate a multitude of those off-road environments. Okay. And then what we would do with the environments is generate sensory data out of those uh, 3D virtual environments. What I mean by that is, you know, RGB camera streams, uh, you know, accelerometer data, a LiDAR, all, all simulated, all fully done in simulation. But then this data would actually be used to train AI systems that drive real cars, right? Okay. And tanks and trucks. So um, pretty much what we've done through that project is contributing a mechanism for augmenting, extending the real-world training data uh, that trains real military vehicles. And the importance of that is that capturing real-world data is very expensive to do, right? Sure. Time takes money. Um, and, you know, lots of people sometimes also have to, you know, annotate the data to some extent. Right. But if we can generate those virtual environments, basically, uh, we can say many months, year, month of work, right? And that's that, that exactly what's happened. We, we could just pr- press the button and generate, you know, terabytes of data in a few minutes. Fantastic. That's really interesting. And, you know, talking about virtual environments, I think virtual environments will seep into our lives more and more. I mean, with Meta investing so much uh, into the metaverse and, uh, you know, it's like a persistent virtual world where, you know... <laughs> You're walking in as an avatar and interacting virtually. So there's all things gaming, you know, everything with you think of, you know, um, as a game developer, designer, as an artist. Uh, I'm sure all of those roles have something to play in creating and sustaining that virtual world. So it's so interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, and in fact, um, 
the, the, the sort of fully virtual worlds are, are an interesting area and, and they will have more of, um, more of an impact in the games and training, uh, sense, but one area that lots of people haven't quite realized is going to be also very, very big is the augmentation of the real world, right? Augmented and mixed reality applications. Um, one application that is currently in beta and many people haven't quite realized this, um, is a, is an augmented reality version of Google Maps, right? Okay. And so, yeah. And so what's going to happen, uh, the next generation of Google Maps is going to allow us to really see the directions uh, when we get from point A to point B on the road, right? Wow. And, and probably at some point in time, I mean, it's not really a big leap to imagine that um, the, the, the car screen uh, the windscreen is going to be an augmented reality device. Absolutely. Right? I'm waiting for all, that. All is going to be driven. <laughs> yeah. I, I um, would love that, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, where you're too, sitting really and on, on your screen, you, you see the, the physical road and there's a nice bright yellow arrow, which says go right here, or I mean, go right here or go left here. So <laughs> that'd be so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is if that happens, then suddenly you will see people stopping in the middle of the road. Because they will be like, oops, uh, I don't see an arrow now. <laughs> so yeah. if you lose network uh, and and your map stops working as intended, it's going to lead to really funny scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the cars will be autonomous by then. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Fabio. Thank you for making time for this session. I've really enjoyed uh, interacting with you. I've learned so much and uh, uh, it's it's so great to... Uh, have you here and talk with you about this subject uh, as a subject matter expert so we really appreciate uh, you making time for this absolutely my pleasure mate. thank you i hope you enjoyed this episode uh, subscribe to us on youtube to get more episodes like this and if you'd like to tune into uh, an audio podcast you can catch us on google apple and spotify our handle is the zista podcast till we meet again we'd say stay curious